Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. So I was actually thinking about, good morning guys, welcome. Uh, Yeah, no, it's all right. I was actually uh, thinking yesterday that, because we're looking at kind of these virtues uh, that Peter writes to us about. It's Peter's dying words, and um, and 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 the thought just kind of crossed my mind that 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 virtue is actually of greater value than wealth or treasure, and uh, and and kind of the proof of that is if you if you just look at you know history and you look at the nations of the world, what you see, what you observe is that all of civilization or nations of antiquity, of time past, they had material, they had wealth. You know, if you think about all the wealth of the Middle East, you know, think about the oil fields that they're sitting upon, or think about the, uh, the mines and the, uh, the precious resources that are in Africa, you know, the diamonds and the gold. And, you know, there are, there are nations and, and there have been civilizations that have been excessively wealthy, uh, and yet they haven't known how to manage that wealth in such a way that they can do anything with it nationally. You know? And then you look at the United States of America, and we really don't have any natural resources. I mean, there's some oil in the ground, but nothing excessive. We're not you know, a major producer of the world. There are some things, but, but like, we're really, we're not like a resource rich. We have soil and rain, which, yes, there's definitely some value in that. But what is it that has made us go further than any nation in, in all of history? It's the fact that we have the virtue of freedom. You know, the freedom uh, that we possess and the values that have driven that freedom have caused us to go further, even not having the resources of, of uh, some of the civilizations of, of times past. You know, and, and it's a funny thing, but if you had right now two choices, you know, on one side, uh, you could be um, filled with good virtue in your heart, like your character. That's a choice. Or on the other, you could be stupid wealthy, and you just choose one. You can't have both. Most of us would probably choose the wealth. That's just our nature. We would be like, I can do a lot more with that than I can with that. But uh, history and, and scripture and reality proves that otherwise, is that virtue is of much greater value uh, than even wealth and, and, and riches materially. And so it makes what we're doing here and looking at what Peter writes in his last words of extreme value to us uh, as he's giving to us instruction uh, in these things called virtue. And so uh, this morning as we continue, we're going to talk about patience. And the title of the message you see up on the screen is, is wait for it, patience. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, were, um, we were down south on vacation about a month ago, and I visited a friend in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, I wanted to see the area. We were only there for one day, and uh, he's lived down there for 10 years now, and I wanted to see where he lives. And so I asked him to take me for a ride, and we went in the car, and we're driving around. And, um, and we came to an intersection, and I, I saw a, you know, a conflict kind of appearing um, in the, the lane that was coming in from the other side. Uh, and, and I heard honking, and I heard blaring, and, and a scene that looked strangely familiar, like road rage. And, uh, you know, and so horns, horn was flaring, flaring and, you know, sound shouting out of a window. And then all of a sudden the guy that was in the second car got out of the car. He opened the door and he approached, uh, the car that was up in front and, uh, and the window was rolled up and he knocked on the window and then he immediately 
turned around and went back to his car and got in his car. And I was sitting there, and I'm watching this thing staring. And I said to my friend, I go, is someone about to go down here? And my friend looks at me, and he goes, oh. He goes, no, the guy just didn't go when the light turned green. And I said, that was, that was all because the guy in the front didn't go when the light turned green? He goes, yeah, it happens all the time down here. He goes, this is just the way it is. There's like a 30-second delay when the light turns green before people go and move through the intersection. And that was why he honked, and then he just got out of the car to, to, to remind the guy that the light is green and that it's time to go right now. And I said, did you just say this is a common thing that happens down here? And he said, yeah. And I said, how are you still alive? Because that would kill me. And he said, well, actually, for like the first two or three years that I was here, uh, it drove me absolutely insane. He said, but I had to force myself to adjust because I was having panic attacks, <laughs> you know, because he was from originally from up here. He said, but it's just a different uh, type of thing. And you've got to learn patience when you live in the South. And so one of the things that we enjoy uh, one of the reasons why we live in the Northeast and why we tolerate the Northeast is because of the fast pace of things. And there are certain benefits that come with having a fast-paced lifestyle, which all of us are accustomed to, all of us have. Uh, one of those being productivity. Another being that you can go further faster in every area of life. You know, you can do that in your career. You can do that in, uh, in the big things and in the small things. Another benefit of living in a fast-paced lifestyle is that you often uh, have an excuse for when you make a mistake. You know, we're spread so thin and all of us have so much going on in our lives that when something does slip through the cracks, there's a little bit more leniency because people understand. Everybody's kind of in that same uh, position. Another benefit of living in a fast-paced area is that that we enjoy instant gratification, is that when we want something, we don't really have to wait for it anymore. You know, really almost anything. You know, even even like uh, if you miss a TV show that you really wanted to see or catch up on something like it's literally seconds that you can find it and you can see it you can view it in its fullness there's really almost nothing that we have to wait for in a practical sense uh, in the time and in the area in which we live now there are many benefits and we could go on talking about the benefits of being in a fast-paced region but there are also uh, many drawbacks of having a very fast-paced lifestyle uh, one of those is that it absolutely lends itself to more stress Uh, Our ability to be productive and to move and to get things done causes us often to take on more things in our lives than we can reasonably handle, and it tends to overload us and we get stressed out. Another drawback uh, is that we tend or have the tendency to cut corners. You know, because we're able to get so much done uh, and we're not able to do everything Um, fully or or to the best possible degree, you know, we'll do a good enough job on a lot of things in order to have quantity over quality. Uh, Another drawback of living in in a fast-paced region is that there's more expected of us. Because of that, uh, you know, you won't get a friendly honk and a tap on the window if you wait at a green light too long. You might get a baseball bat or get rear-ended. You know, you're going to get a lot more than a friendly reminder. You know, there's a lot expected of us uh, because 
because of it. Um, and probably one of the greatest drawbacks of living in a fast-paced lifestyle, especially for a Christian, is that to, be, to live in this area or to live in an area like this, it absolutely weakens your patience. It weakens your patience. It doesn't strengthen it. In the South, uh, your, your patience is strengthened because you're forced to wait. But when you're instantly gratified, your patience grows uh, thin. And that would be a fine thing. It wouldn't matter if we didn't need patience. But even though we live in a fast-paced life as Christians were called to patience. And that's what Peter is talking about in, in his uh, thing here. Now, he is building for us a list of virtues, a list of values that he is calling us to cultivate. So it isn't just something that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with us. He tells us to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and now patience. He tells us to add patience to our lives, and it's essential for us. It's not an option, but it's essential for us to be growing in our patience if we want four things. If we want our lives to be fruitful and to count for God, we're going to need patience. If we want to have vision for our lives, to see what it is that we're to be doing and where it is that we're going, we're going to need patience. If we want to be successful in our endeavors and the things that we put our hands to, we're going to need patience. And if we want God to be pleased, number four, at the end of our life, we're going to need patience. Now, I'm not making that up. If you read Second Peter chapter 1, that's what Peter says. He says, listen, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to have vision, if you want to be successful, and if you want to please God at the end of your life, to have God have been pleased with your life, you're going to need to add patience to your life. And so therefore, patience is a necessity. We need patience. We need to be growing in our patience. So what is patience uh, if you want to define it? I read one person um, who, who, who thought of patience this way. They, they said, Lord, bless me with patience, not opportunities to be patient. I've had plenty of those, and they don't seem to be working. I need the actual patience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this person uh, had an idea of what patience is. Another person prayed, Lord, please give me patience, because if I get strength, I'll punch him in the face. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this person was getting a little bit closer. Uh, another person said, I had my patience tested, and it came back negative. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't pass uh, the thing. And so patience... We understand the, the humor of it, but in, in actuality, uh, patience means something. I actually Googled uh, in preparation for the study, what is, what, are, what is an American's least favorite thing to do? What is an American's least favorite thing to do? And you know what the number one thing that Americans hate the most, hate doing the most? You know what it is? No, that's number two. Number one is, number one is dealing with idiots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and number two is waiting. They're the same thing, right? It's, they both have to do it with patience, just different definitions of the same word. You know, we hate patience. It's our human nature that we don't like to wait. Um, but patience is actually waiting. It's, it's being uh, patient and enduring. It's waiting with endurance. That's what the Greek word that's used by Peter actually means. It's waiting with endurance. So that with endurance part, it means waiting and then wait longer. 
<laughs> you know, and that's that's what it means to have patience, and that's what we're called to. I know you were hoping uh, that that I would say that the actual definitions is wait a while and then do something about it, but that's not what what it actually is. Well, why is patience necessary? We we understand why it's good and helpful, but Peter says it's necessary. Why is patience necessary? <clears throat> And the answer is this, very practically, is it's because it is the action that's associated with trust. And so in this, in this instance, or according to this definition, patience is actually a verb. It's an action word. It's actually something that we do, you know, which is kind of funny. We almost think of patience as being a noun, a person, place, or a thing, you know, but it's not. Patience is actually something that we do. And patience is the action that's associated with trust. Now, you and I received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ because we needed to trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. We, we had to trust him to do something that we weren't able to do for ourselves. We couldn't purify ourselves from our lost condition. And so we put our trust in Jesus to be our forgiveness and our salvation. But in the process of putting our faith in Jesus, we are also confessing him or professing him to be the Lord of our lives. And that carries with it a whole other arena of trusting. Because now, not only are we trusting him to save us and to forgive us of our sins, but we're also trusting him over every other area of our lives. We're trusting him to lead us. We're trusting him to control our circumstances. We're trusting him to do what only he can do in our lives, and that is to successfully navigate us safely through our life here on earth. And so we're trusting him, and part of trusting him is waiting upon his moving or upon his actions. And so patience is the action that's associating with trust. Now, when we relinquish control over our lives, that's what we're doing when we're making him Lord. And I know those words grind on you when I say relinquish control, right? (laughs) <laughs> to make someone else Lord of you means that you're relinquishing control. There's actually a triunity, a trinity of trust. And so if I'm going to trust Jesus as my Lord, it means I'm trusting him with three elements. Number one is I'm trusting him with all of the circumstances of my life. That means every circumstance that I'm in at any given moment, a circumstance in my marriage, a circumstance with my uh, wayward children, a circumstance that I'm going through at work, a circumstance with my health, a circumstance with my mind, any circumstance that comes into my life, I'm trusting him with those circumstances. That's part of relinquishing control and making him Lord. Number two, not just circumstances, but also outcomes is that I'm trusting him with the outcomes, meaning he's in control, not me, of how things turn out within all of those circumstances at any given time. And then the third element of trust is the timing. I'm trusting him with the when concerning the outcomes within the circumstances. And all three of those things are necessary if I'm going to call it trust. I'm trusting him with circumstance, with outcome, and with time. And if you relinquish or remove any one of those three things from the equation, you can't call it trust. 
You've taken control back in, into your, your source, and, and no longer can God control it, uh, and, and probably you can't either because you don't have full control anyways, you know, and so it just becomes chaotic. And so if I'm going to trust Jesus as my Lord, it means that I'm giving him control of all circumstances, all outcomes, and the timing of all of it. And so let me break this down for you, uh, this triune tandem, into a logic equation for just a minute. And that is this, is we understand, and part of the reason that we got saved, is we understand that life doesn't work without trusting Jesus. We understand that. So life doesn't work without trust. Trust doesn't work without patience, because patience is time, right? And time is part of the trust trinity. Trust doesn't work without patience. Therefore, life doesn't work without patience. Life fails without patience. And that's why patience is absolutely necessary. It's not optional. It's not an elective. It's something that we absolutely need if we're going to be fruitful, have vision, if we're going to be successful, and if God is going to be pleased with us at the end of our life. And so what are the major areas of our life where we need patience, where it's the most applicable to us? <laughs> what, what are the areas uh, where we need to add patience to our life? And, I, and you probably could make this list very exhaustive, um, but I, I have four for us to consider this morning, and I'll start with the easiest and I'll work towards uh, the hardest. But uh, the first areas that we need patience is, first of all, we need patience with ourselves. Um, Matthew chapter 6 <clears throat> Verses 25 through 27, Jesus said this. He said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body what you will wear. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes? Behold the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither reap, neither do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? And here's the verse. It's verse 27. It says, which of you, by taking thought, that is with anxious thought or with strain or stress or effort, can add one cubit to his stature or one, you could say, one inch or one measure of height to your span or how tall you are? How many of you can make yourselves grow with your efforts or with your uh, stress or your anxiety or your worry? And the answer is, of course, none of us. We can't do anything about our size with our effort. And, and the point that Jesus was making there was not about our physical appearance, but rather our spiritual substance. My son uh, is not here this morning, and um, he is going through a bit of humorous frustration. And I, I say humorous because he's not really upset about it, but he is waiting for that thing that will happen to all young men to turn them into grown men to happen in his life. You know, and he's uh, just on the brink of getting his learner's permit, but he looks like uh, he has barely made it out of middle school. <laughs> you know, and uh, and he's he is waiting for it, and he kind of has this thing with God: is like, all right, Lord, any day now, you know, would be really nice because I really don't want to go and apply for my permit and not have my grown-up voice yet, you know, like, hi, can I get the application, please, you know, you know, the whole thing, you know, and so uh, it's kind of like this humorous thing going on. Now, here's what he knows. He knows absolutely that it's going to happen, 
He knows that his voice is going to change and that his bones are going to grow and that his beard is going to come in. He knows that's going to happen, but he has absolutely no control at all whatsoever on when that will take place. And his option is wait. (laughs) That's it. Wait or worry, which makes no sense because he can't do anything about it. Now, you and I, we have a picture in the Bible of what spiritual maturity looks like. We have promise in the Bible. Promise the Bible promises that we can be free from our sins. The Bible promises that there is fruit of the spirit of joy and peace and all of these things that God works into us. We have a picture of what a mature Christian looks like in the person of Jesus Christ and in the example of the Apostle Paul. We know what God is doing and where he's bringing us. But we really have very little control over how long it takes us to get there because God's the one that has to work changes in us and bring us through things in order to bring us out the other side. And so what that means is that we've got to have patience with ourselves while we're waiting for God to do his work within our lives. He's going to bring us there. You know, but sometimes we have to be patient with ourselves. Sometimes I, I have people, they come up to me and they say, you know, when I first got saved, God did some things in my life and he took out this and he took out that and he changed this and he changed that. But there was a couple of things that he either overlooked or didn't see or, you know, <laughs> or I'm holding on to too tight. Something's going on because there's a few things left in my life that God hasn't taken out yet. <laughs> What's the story? Why won't he flip the switch on those things? And then I'll say, oh, that's easy. I have no clue. (laughs) But because that's a reality universally. That happens to every single one of us, is that there's some things he gives us victory over, and he shows us his power in it. He shows us that, yeah, he's able to flip a switch, and something can go away. But there's some things that he doesn't, and there's a lot of reasons why not. But here's, here's kind of the 35,000-foot the view of that subject or uh, that issue, is that God, in his sovereign wisdom, has a list of things that he's going to change in our lives from the time we get saved until the time he calls us home. Maybe there's 50 things that God's going to change in your life, you know, uh, cursing, lusting, you know, uh, drinking, whatever, you know, lying, dishonesty, greed. He's got this whole list of things. And some of those things are on God's short list, meaning he's going to take those things out of your life immediately or in the early parts of your Christian walk and life and experience. But there's some things that are like maybe 45th on God's list, And he's not going to get around to removing that out of your life, or he's not going to bring you through the things that are going to bring that out, get that out of your life, or he's going to use that battle in your life for a season, and then he's going to bring you through when he shows you uh, what it really is or makes you hate it or whatever else that he does, but it's going to come a little bit later on. And we strain sometimes over the things that we hate, but that we still struggle with. Paul had that, Romans chapter 7. The things I hate, those things I still find myself doing sometimes, you know. And so we need to be patient with ourselves. Another area where we need to be patient is with 
uh, others. <laughs> you know, we need to be patient with others. And biblically speaking, um, this applies uh, primarily to our human relationships, not necessarily the person that, that isn't moving at the, the green light in front of us, uh, you know, that we need patience with, but really more so where the rubber meets the road is in the arena of our relationships. We need patience uh, with our spouse. We need patience in our marriage. Uh, there's this amazing thing that's happening uh, as we're married, and that is that two are becoming one. What did God say? He, he said that the, the two shall no longer be two, but they, the two shall be one. And wh- what happens after you've been married for about six hours is that you realize that you're very different uh, from the person that you married, that you have different backgrounds, different culture. Uh, even if you grew up in the same town, you, know, you have different culture, different households, different values that you were brought up under, different habits, uh, different um, things that you're accustomed to. There are, uh, there are so many differences. And what happens is those two have to become one, and there's a grinding down process that happens uh, in making that uh, work. You know, and, and so that that requires patience. <laughs> you know? and, and I won't get off on a marriage study this morning, but you guys, if you're married here, you understand uh, patience in marriage. Another area uh, in our relationships is as parents, is that we need a lot of patience with our kids, because um, because again, they are different than we are. They're our offspring, and so we know them and we understand them, but they're still very different from us. And one of the things that it's very, very challenging as a parent to, um, to, to kind of um, walk in is the fact that as parents, our job is not to mold our kids, but to unfold our kids. In other words, God has tucked things in them. He made them. They belong to him. And it isn't our job to mold them into what we think they should be, but rather it's to guide and unfold what God has placed in them. And that requires patience because sometimes we don't understand that fully or we don't recognize it right away. And we can frustrate our kids and sometimes we can castrate them spiritually and we can actually hinder them from becoming what God wants them to be because we're trying to force them into what we think they should be. And it's important that we exercise patience as parents. Another relationship is with our colleagues, the people that we work alongside. One of the things that we learn as we grow up uh, and, and as we take on responsibility and we work with others is that role and position are important. My role in a company or in a business or in a venture, my role is an important thing. And, and my position within that, is important to the progress or the success of the establishment. But there's something else in the equation other than just role and position, and that is pride and emotion, (laughs) right? As a man, I have dignity. As a man, I have desires. I have pride. I have maybe personal expectations, and that's something that's very real in my life. I also have emotions. I have the ability to feel. I can feel anger. I can feel passion. I can feel strongly about things. And so I have two different sets of of circumstances that work in my professional relationships. I have role and position on one side, and I have pride and emotion on the other side. And and one of the things that we need to learn, that all of us, and, and we do in the course of our lifetime, is that role and position takes a higher seat to pride and emotion. Role and position is more important than my pride and my emotions. And if I don't understand that, then I can get impatient 
And I can start making big mistakes with my colleagues. And I can ruin things. I can uh, start to break things down. You know, I can ruin a goal that I have for my own life because I get fired from a job or I just quit because I don't like the way I'm being treated and I can ruin a goal that I've set for myself. I can also uh, ruin a calling because God might be moving me towards something and, I, and then I could let my pride and my emotions cause me to do things in impatience that ruin the calling or at least delay it. Or I can ruin a situation that God's got me in or I can ruin my witness that I've got towards others. And so I've got to understand that my role and my position with my colleagues is more important than the way I feel or my dignity. And and so, and part of that is patience. That's where patience comes in in that relationship. Uh, um, The stakes can be very high. Here, here is a, another area where in our relationships we need patience. It's a big one. This is probably the hardest one. And that is with other Christians. As a Christian, I need patience with other Christians. (laughs) <laughs> I don't hear you laughing <laughs> on that one. You know, he, he, somebody said one time that Christians are a lot like manure. <laughs> all spread out, they can do a lot of good, but when they're all clumped together, they just stink. <laughs> you know? And there is an element of truth to that. You know, sometimes we can get on each other's nerves in the body of Christ. Um, we all have different backgrounds, you know, spiritually. Uh, we're raised maybe in different um, spiritual traditions, or we come from different churches, or we have different levels of maturity that we're at. Sometimes we have different convictions. Uh, some people have no problem um, participating in certain things or doing certain things, and other people, to them, it's sacrilege, like, you know, to get a tattoo or to dress a certain way, you know, and, 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 and like, yet both people can be blood-bought and accepted by Jesus in, the, in their current condition. Um, we could have different perspectives on things. You know, you could see uh, a passage of scripture one way, and I might see it another way. You know, there, there's also um, different paces. Some of us grow quickly, and we pursue the Lord more fully. Other people are a little bit more uh, cautious, and they move a little bit slower. And there's all kinds of different dynamics that exists between Christians in the body of Christ, and yet we're called to love each other and accept one another, and, and that requires patience. Because I have to be patient with people that don't see things or do things exactly the same way that I do. And and so it requires great patience to get along with other Christians. And the stakes are very high when it comes to our relationships in the body of Christ. Because if I don't exercise patience with my fellow believers, then I can find myself fighting against people that I'm supposed to be fighting with. We're called to have a common enemy, and our enemy is not one another. Our enemy is not other Christians. Our enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Another thing that I can do if I'm not patient with Christians is that I can crush someone that needs to be cultivated. They, they're, they're not there yet. They don't know everything, just like I don't know everything. And, and I can, in my impatience with someone's progress, I can crush them instead of cultivating them and bringing them along. And the third consequence of impatience in the body of Christ is that I can ruin the witness that Jesus said would be the strongest one, and that is that our love towards one another. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one towards another. And so there's probably no place where patience is harder to exercise than with other Christians, but probably no place also uh, that the stakes are higher. 
A third area where we need patience, not just with others in our relations, um, but, but we need patience in our circumstances. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says this. It says, be patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. We need patience in our circumstances, especially in the ones that are difficult. Jesus taught us to pray. And we all know, you know, that, that prayer that he gave, gave to us when he said, Our Father which art in heaven. You know, there's two things tucked into that prayer. One is we pray, Thy will be done. Right? We're yielding our lives to his will. Right? And then the next thing that we pray in that same prayer that doesn't take that long to, 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 to work through is lead us. Right? <laughs> he says, when you pray, say, lead us. You know, and, and some people say it's one, you know, lead us not into temptation. It's actually two things. It's lead us not into temptation. So we're praying that God's will would be done in our life, and then we're praying that he would lead us. So we're actually asking him to take control of the circumstances of our life. Then he does it. He leads us into a set of circumstances that are going to reveal and unfold his will, which is what we're praying for. And then what do we do? We immediately try to get out of the circumstances that we prayed for, you know, so that we can have God's will being done in our life. How does God lead his kids? He tells us in the word. It's Deuteronomy. I skipped a verse, but that's okay. I got the point across. It's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. Listen to what God says. He says, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert place and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him around. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. I love that verse, by the way. Four things that God does for every one of us. He found us. He leads us. He teaches us. And he preserves us. That's amazing promise, isn't it? What God does for us. But then how does the Lord lead us? He says this. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads her wings, takes them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no other God with him. Speaking of Jacob or his son. How does, how does an eagle lead her young? You know what she does? She kicks him out of the nest. They're there, and she, she takes her wing, and she gets it underneath their little feet, and she goes, and she flutters the wing, and they go, you know, and this little tiny bird with these little flip, flimsy feathers, you know, starts flying towards the ground. And then the mother eagle dive bombs out of the nest, and she gets underneath them, and then she catches them skillfully, and she flies them back up into the nest and brings them safely there. And then the next day, it's wash, rinse, repeat. She flings them out of the nest again. And after about the third or fourth cycle of fluttering her wings, the little eaglet pushes out and catches air and, whoa, look what I can do. And now they're starting to get it, you see? But the Lord says, that's how I lead. Just like an eagle stirs up her young. So, Lord, Lead us in your will. Bring me to the place I'm supposed to be. And he says, okay. (laughs) And then he flings us out of the nest. And we're like, oh, you're cruel, God. What are you doing? This is the worst thing ever. And then he catches us. And we go, that was close. 
And then we're like, all right, Lord, that was close. Don't ever, ever drop me again, Lord, or else I'll tell everyone you're unfaithful. And then we say, Lord, lead us into your will for our life, and out of the nest we go, you know, and the whole thing. And so what does God say? He says, you need to be patient in tribulation because I'm doing something in your life. And if you grab the wheel at any time in the process, you're going to delay your destination. You know, it's funny. You could use a GPS and never get where you're going. Even if she recalculates a thousand times, because you can always be a half a mile from your destination and you could just make a random left turn and she'll recalculate you. But you can keep doing that forever and never get where you're going to go. And I think that happens to a lot of Christians. God has a place that he's taking us. He brings the circumstances that are going to lead us where it is. We put up with it for a while and then we grab the wheel and say, this is ridiculous. And we take a random left. And God says, ah, recalculating, you know? <laughs> and, he, and he sets it up. And he does a couple things. And we say, Lord, do it again. And we get out. Oh, I'm sorry, I took the wheel. Lord, you take over. And, and then we get a half a mile from our destination. We go, this is ridiculous. And we grab the wheel again. And you can spend your whole life recalculating and never really reaching what it is that God has for you. Until you have patience in tribulation patience in your circumstances. We've got to be patient throughout. The fourth area where we need patience is with God. And this is kind of all-encompassing, but we need to have patience with God. Why? Because listen, God is the only one who sees. He's the only one who knows. He's the only one who actually can help us. And reality, truth be told, God is the only one who cares. (laughs) about the situations of our life. No one else really does. And here's the promises associated with being patient with God. You decide, Lord, you're trustworthy. I commit to you the circumstances, the outcomes, and the timing. I trust you, and I'm willing to wait. Here are the promises that God gives to those that will wait for him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says that they that wait upon the Lord, that's patience, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One of the promises that's associated with patience with God is that he's going to make sure that you have ample and abundant strength. Now, I did a quick Bible search on these passages, and what I found is in just a quick search, not even digging through the passages, but just in a quick search, I saw three other promises that say the same thing. The patience waiting upon God results in human strength. Anybody feel weak in here? Anybody pray for more strength? Anybody need more strength in their life? One of the things is be patient with God. Wait upon him. Don't take things into your own hand. Just trust him. Wait upon him. It's one of the promises that he gives. Another promise that God gives concerning waiting upon him is in Psalm chapter 25, verse 3. And it says this. It says, Yea, let none that wait on you, that are patient with you, be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. You know, grab the wheel. <laughs> and, and Lord, I'm sick of waiting, and they transgress. I'm, 
I'm going to do this myself. But one of the promises that's associated with waiting patiently for God is that you won't be ashamed. Let me ask you another question. You ever done anything in here that made you ashamed? <laughs> nah, I haven't. <laughs> no. <laughs> listen, listen, I, again, in a quick search, I found three other verses that had the same promise tucked in them, that waiting upon God results in not being ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to feel ashamed in my life. I don't want to be ashamed at the end of my life. I don't want to be ashamed along the way. And I don't want to do things that make me feel shame. He says, wait, be patient. Another one, uh, Psalm 37, verse 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. You say, what's the promise here? You have to actually look two verses up, verse uh, um, five of the same chapter. And you know what God says is going to be the result of this kind of patience, of just waiting on him? Is that, listen, I love this. He says, he will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. What? It. <laughs> what's, what's your it? That's why it's left that open. This is the circumstance, is that if you wait upon the Lord, he's going to bring it to a resolution. That's the promise, is that waiting upon God will bring resolution. The issue will be resolved. Now, again, a quick search. Five times in the Bible, in separate areas, separate verses, where this promise is given. Patience with God is going to result in a resolution of the circumstances. God is going to address it. He's going to come through. He's not going to let you down. Another promise concerning waiting upon God, Psalm 37, verse 9. It says, For evildoers shall be cut off, But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. This one is for provision. Again, four other times God gives the same promises that if we wait upon him, we're going to see his provision in our lives. He's going to come through. He's going to provide for us practically. Here's the promise. If we wait upon God, he's going to give us strength. We won't be ashamed. He's going to resolve the issues, and he's going to provide for us along the way. He doesn't break his promises, but he tells us that we need to wait. We must be patient with God. And so four areas where we need patience. We need patience with ourselves, in our relationships, in our circumstances, and we need patience to wait upon God. Why is patience so important to God? Why is patience, why does patience have to be a part of the equation? Here's why is because there's value in patience's purpose. There are three times in the Bible where God refers to his people as his jewels. The breastplate of the high priest, the names of the 12 tribes, jewels represented near the heart of the high priest. God considers his people his jewels. Again, in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, he calls us living stones, precious stones, that we are God's jewels that he's forging and fashioning and making for himself. A third time in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the walls of the new Jerusalem, we are the temple of the living God. They're made out of pure jewels of different sorts. God calls us his jewels. Do you know what a jewel is? It's worthless 
raw material with added heat pressure and time. That's what a jewel is. A diamond is nothing more than carbon that's been pressed, heated for a long period of time. And it forms a diamond, one of the most valuable minerals. Amazing. And God calls us his jewels. What are we? We're dirt, right? The same 23 elements that make up dirt. And then he applies heat, pressure, and time. And on the other side, he calls us his jewels. You can't just have heat and pressure. The time is a part of it. And thus, patience is important for you and I in every area of our life and what God is fashioning and forging within us. Where does patience come from? Is there a mine somewhere where I can get it? I can tell you where patience doesn't come from. You've all heard the prayer, right? Lord, give me patience now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> patience doesn't come from prayer. Patience comes from hope. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul rejoices over the Thessalonian church because he heard about their patience of hope. That means patience that comes from hope. Patience comes, do you know what hope is? Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good. The more I know God, the more I trust God, the more hope I have in God, and therefore the more patience I'll have with God. Because I have hope that he is good, I have hope that he keeps his promise, I have hope that he's sovereign, that he hasn't forgotten me, it enables me to have patience. I can have patience because I have hope in him. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience, because there's nothing you can do about it, and patience works experience, and experience works hope. Do you see that? Now, you already have a little patience. That patience has resulted in a little bit more hope, and we know that hope feeds what? Patience. Patience of hope, right? And so now you have this loop where patience is being expanded, and it says that hope makes us unashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We don't do stupid things taking the wheel out of God's hands when we have hope because hope feeds patience. And so it's important that we know who God is. We know his character and his nature, that we believe his promises, and that will enable us to have patience. And Peter says to us that we're to add to our faith patience so that we can be fruitful, so that we can have vision for our lives, so that we can be successful in our endeavors, and so that at the end of it all, God looks at us and he says, I'm pleased. That's what we want, right? And so the call to us this morning is to add patience, to add patience, patient with ourselves, to be patient with others, to be patient in our circumstances, to be patient with God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. 
If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.